it's definitely an exchange of energy for sure. So creator will give you something, the choreographer, the artistic director, they will give you something and then you it's your the choices you have to make that then you'll kind of show them this and then they'll kind of feed off of that and when you have this exchange then it's it's endless what can be created because it's 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 an exchange and it's this constant give and take and it's it's awesome it's beautiful it's really it's fun it's um it's uh, it's energetic it, i don't know it's just you can go forever i guess when you do this it's why certain choreographers will work with the same dancers over and over or have the same assistant or because they or they'll work with the same artists over and over it's because you you have this beautiful cycle of creativity and i feel like that's more or less what it is you you give this to the project and if you get it back then it just continues to go and go Hi, I'm Dan Brophy. Welcome to The Naked Creative Show, a podcast where we talk with everyday creatives all about their process in the most practical terms, how they structure their workday, where they like to work, how caffeinated they like to be when they sit down to do the job, how they gather inspiration or overcome blocks. From designers to comedians to poets to backup dancers, I aim to explore the process that makes achieving creative goals possible for anyone. My guest today is Kapono Ipoi Aveao. He is principal backup dancer to one of my favorite artists of all time, none other than Madonna, whom he has performed with through two world tours, three major music videos, and her monumental Super Bowl performance of 2012 which is where it all began for his working relationship with one of the world's longest-standing and most successful pop stars. This week, Kapono, or Pono for short, has finally landed back home in Hawaii after 15 months on the road with Madonna's Rebel Heart Tour, in which he performed 82 shows in over 25 countries. I was interested in what it was like to be in the coveted role of backup dancer for an international pop star, considering for so many people, this is a dream job. I want to know all about his process and what he believes got him there in the first place. There is so much legacy surrounding the Madonna world. I also wanted to know what it was like for him to work so closely with someone whom so many people, myself included, admire so greatly. Here is my interview with the charming and oh-so-talented Kapono Ipoi Aveo. Okay, Kapono, thanks for having a chat. Of course. Hello, hello. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> um, so when people say, what do you do? What do you tell them you do? Um, normally always just start with just I'm a dancer, which then leads to the question of what type of dance Sends it to professional dancer, and then for whom? And I say pop stars, and then it gets along lines of I'm a dancer for Madonna, basically. <laughs> and have you always, in terms of you being a pop star dancer, is it just Madonna, or have you worked for a number of different um, performers? Actually, only only two: uh, Ricky Martin and Madonna, the two major pop stars that I've, I guess that I've toured with. I've worked with other. Um, major like recording artists and stuff like that, but not as closely as M or Ricky. They'd be like my the two. And right now you're you're back in Hawaii, where your family is from and where you're based. And yeah. well, you're based in Los Angeles, and you've just come back after a big tour. But how do you feel to be back after a year and a half on the road with with a tour? Um, it's always I guess coming. Back home, whether it's back to LA or especially back uh, home to Hawaii, it's uh you always there's this awkward, weird sense of displacement that I was talking to my friends while we were on tour about it that I always dread um, because when you go on tour, you kind of leave your life, you leave your that world, and you come back, but everything within that world's kind of continued going on without you. So there's, it just feels weird, like when I first come back to Hawaii, all these things that happened within my family that I didn't know about. So you're playing catch-up with that. Um, you're playing catch-up with your friends. Uh, just so many things happen, even just within your own place. It, 
it kind of changes without you being around, and then you get back into it. So now I've been home for two weeks now, and it's starting to feel I'm feeling more at home, I guess, more comfortable. But yeah, when I was first back, it just you feel weird. It's so weird to explain how weird it feels. I guess it, it, I the best way to say is it's yeah, I just felt displaced in my own home, um, and. It never goes. It's, it always happens. It always just happens. It's no one's fault. It doesn't. There's no way to prevent it. It just, yeah, you just kind of get back into the way things are. So, and do you have a living a, a life as a dancer in Los Angeles or in Hawaii? Are people always just disappearing to go off on tours, and they might go for right. a period? Yeah, of time? I, that's like another part of like that whole displacement is that you come back and half my friends were on the road or half my friends were working, so I'm not even seeing them. So the people that I guess I have direct access to right away would be like, I guess not my first choice, or not the people that I want to see, you know, but the people that I, I'm able to see at that moment. So it's just kind of weird in that sense. I'd like, thankfully, I was able to catch some of my like Hawaii friends that were based in LA. So we got like some dinner and stuff like that. That's always good. Um, uh, it's always why after the tour, I will always go home. Like it's quickly as possible because it's kind of where I it brings me back to one um, and keeps me grounded and I mean my family is the people I want to see first and foremost so, so as a kid growing up as a h- aspiring dancer in Hawaii what does that look like is Hawaii or in particular your part of Hawaii known for producing internationally successful contemporary dancers um, yes and no uh, I guess the dance world in Hawaii, or not even the pop culture world in Hawaii, which I feel like entertainment, dancing, artistry, all that's involved, is really small. I mean, you basically live on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, so you're pretty excluded from everything, um, everything mainstream, more or less. So to be involved in dance in Hawaii, it's, I think there's like only a handful of studios that you have access to. Um, it definitely creates a stronger, I guess, drive and motivation. So because you have to work twice as hard, to, I guess, to kind of gain access to certain things, you have to really want it. I, I guess it's because it's not accessible. It's not um, as convenient to get to dance studios, to, to get the best teaching or all that kind of stuff. So it helps in its sense. It makes you that much better in the long run, for, which I'm learning after the fact, after leaving Hawaii and moving to LA, I'm realizing that all my training or all the stuff that I thought wasn't that good or I thought wasn't up to par actually was beyond, you know. Um, it, I was being pushed further than most because, yeah, because of my instructors, because the, yeah, I had the very good few, I guess. So, so it's great. Did your instructors, are they responsible for bringing your skill set to a level that by the time you got to LA, you were particularly well trained? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, particularly the student from Twenty Four Seven in Hawaii. They, my director, we were never taught to be like a star or a soloist. We were always um, trained to be professional. This is like the number one word that comes to mind. Is I was never trained to be like. Um, to do like 5,000 turns or be extremely flexible or to be the world's best hip-hop. And this, this was nothing that we were ever taught or none, none of my fellow dancers or comrades or friends, we, we never aspired to be the world's best dancer. We just wanted to be a professional dancer. This made you good. Um, having good work ethic, um, which involved being versatile, uh, um, a team player, um, easy to work with, punctual like all these things it's funny how going and getting involved in the industry later i'm learning the world's best dancers can actually be the rudest dancers ever or extremely difficult to work with so they might have amazing skill set but no one wants to work with them because they're they are not professional or some have yeah just have no respect or discipline so they don't continue their training after and all these things were instilled from our dance studio, not being the best, but just a great professionalism. And it's what I think has gotten me as far as I've gotten in my career. And and so many other of my dance friends as well. When we really are not the best. I am not the world's best dancer. Not even that good, but I'm 
I'm smart and I'm professional and I, I know how to work well with others and work well in a dance environment. And yeah, it's my strength, I think, for sure. And so in, term, yeah, in terms of your smarts, how do you think your intelligence or your approach to your, the business of running your business as a dancer, what are choices that you make that are different to someone who's lacking that awareness? Um, is I would say exactly that. Awareness is like the number one thing. Know, um, know how good, I guess, know how good you are and also know how bad you are. Um, jadedness is something so common in LA. It's so easy because you're being scrutinized and criticized and challenged constantly, denied things, um, told probably the worst things ever to your face, behind your back, all this stuff. But knowing the value in it, um, maybe not taking it always for face value, but knowing there's some value in everything, both good and bad. Uh, it's so easy to not make the cut in an audition and leave it and highly of yourself uh, it's like oh well they just wanted asian girls for this or oh they only wanted tall boys for this one thing or muscular boys so that's why it wasn't that i suck i mean uh, i like to leave i leave an audition whether i got it or not especially if i didn't get it and thinking how could i have improved what can i do better um to get the audition next and there's a lot of people that don't do this or at least lack this um this awareness and uh, yeah i guess it's, it's good to know that you suck. <laughs> I get it. It's very good to know how bad you are because then you can, then you can get better. Like in, um, yeah, and it's such an important thing to do. So don't be jaded. Yeah. So and is what you're describing, is this all about just taking criticism well or deconstructing the feedback that you're getting, which might seem insulting? Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, being, I guess... You have to be critical of yourself. So uh, take what people are saying, because I, I mean, you're going to have some very bad things um, said from people. Um, looking at who's saying it, evaluating the person that's giving you the critique. Maybe, I mean, because a lot of people can say things, but if they're of no value to you, then I would imagine their words are of no value to you as well. But if there is someone that you aspire to work with or something, I would take to heart what they're telling you to do or what they're telling you to work on or what they feel you need to work on. Um, yeah, it's so important to, I guess, kind of dissect those, those things and find the value in each aspect of what's being told to you. So good and bad and all of that. So what was your big break? What took you from being a dancer, learning in a small studio in Hawaii, to getting that first, uh, well, what, was, what was your big break and how did it come about? Yeah, um, I, hands down, would have to be So You Think You Can Dance. Uh, when I got on that show, they uh, did so. It, it so did so many good things. First off, exposure. Um, exposure from the show is you can't beat it. Um, going into auditions, you're not always going to have. I mean, you're going to have good days and bad days. It it just happens. So there can be a day in which I just wasn't picking up the choreography quick enough. Or I just, or I might have had an injury, like maybe a couple of days before this big audition, so I just couldn't perform to my best. But because of the show, it's like I now have this visual resume. Um, I can do, like, I can suck within an audition, but maybe because of what either the casting director or the producer people had seen from the show, or their awareness of the show, or what they knew I was capable of doing, or what they've seen me do on the show, that kind of helped push me along or push me through so many auditions not necessarily that they their favorite their favoritism me or, or that they are fans of the show but just they've seen me do this this and this and so because of that they might have just direct booked me for something or it definitely had it it has its advantages in regards to this large pool of dancers and now they know me on like a first name basis. Whereas, you know, so even if they don't like me, they at least know who I am. And so within the audition, they, I, they're looking at me just because I'm a familiar face. And that, I mean, that really helps a lot because you're going to auditions where it's you against 2000 others. And I mean, you're just nothing but a number at that point. So it really, really helps if you can one stand out and two, I mean, if they can know you, your first name, I mean, that's, pretty huge so mm. the show so you think you can answer is definitely my big break it's what 
kind of opened doors for everything and anything after. What age were you when you did So You Think You Can Dance? Ooh, I think I was 24. 24 when I did that. And up until that point, had you been putting yourself forward for gigs that you were hoping to get but didn't quite land them because you were lacking? Yeah, um, there was... It was did like small things. I um, worked for Tokyo Disney Sea to, to try and like help save money. Uh, I worked there for like a year. What and was then that? I Tokyo Disney. That was going to help me Tokyo, move to LA. Tokyo um, Disney Sea. Um, before, um, so I did like like jobs like that. But then I remember I went to audition for Britney Spears. This is so funny. Um, just before I auditioned for So You Think, went to audition for Britney Spears. I knew she had like this. Um, I think it was her circus. It was her circus tour that was coming up. So I was like, "Ooh, cool! I'm gonna like." I felt like I had an ethnic look going for me. I had like a dreaded mohawk, like all this stuff. Um, I had done like area work before, still walking like all these things. I was like, cool, I am trained and sufficient in all these things. This should be good. I, I felt like strong with the package and with what I was going to present to them, all this kind of stuff. Uh, went to audition, made it through all these cuts. And then I remember I got in front of uh, director Jamie King and his assistants and stuff were kind of, you could see we were kind of pushing me along. I could see my resume getting handed down the line, getting pointed at this. I was feeling good about it. Then I got to freestyling, and I literally saw him verbatim say, like, whisper to um, his assistants that I did nothing for him. That when he watched me, like, he literally said, I, he's like, yeah, he does nothing for me. And I saw my resume go from this pile of keepers to not keepers. And I just like that it was cut. It was done. And... I was training hard. At least I thought I was training hard in Hawaii. I was you know, taking as much classes and all these things that I thought I needed to do to, you know, book a big job. And apparently not. <laughs> apparently I wasn't working that hard. And I was, I mean, it fucking sucked being told that. I mean, he didn't say it directly, but it, it sucked hearing that, seeing that, getting so far and then not getting it, you know, like all of it was devastating, but it was so good because then. When I went back to Hawaii, I thought I was training hard, and I clearly wasn't. So then I really started training hard, and like really started pushing myself, doing things, going beyond my limits, challenging myself in any and every way possible. And then I went to audition for So You Think and got that. And so it was, it was a real testament of, like, cool. Like, here I thought I was doing stuff, and it was a direct result. I thought I was training hard. I didn't get the job. I really started training hard. I got to Yuki Kinet. So it was really nice and really assuring and it, it was great to, um, to be criticized like that, to hear that and then to, yeah, change my, the, yeah, it was just great. All so of it. when so. you say training hard, does that mean putting in more hours in the training or does that mean pushing well, your body? No, um, not necessarily more hours, just quality, quality effort. You know, I was taking classes and just taking classes. Now, after this, I went into every class as if it was that audition for Britney, as if it was I was trying to get past that round that I got cut as because I, I wasn't pushing that hard. I was not, I was good, you know, but I, and I thought I was good. I knew I was good, but being told you suck made me want to be better. And so now I was getting better and it was so nice to have that point because then I would have just continued with my training as if I was good and never would have excelled or gone further than that or just would have plateaued but I would have had no idea that I was even plateauing in my um I guess my artistry so it was so nice yeah I, I just remember I started really pushing myself just to push myself and wasn't I guess relying on anyone else telling me I was doing good I had to know I was doing it like I had to feel it see it kind of and I guess the the compliments the accolades they would come if I was putting in the work and they did so it was nice. Like I was kind of resting on my laurels, and it was good to kind of just push beyond that. So, and yeah. how, how far along the line did you get with "So You Think You Can Dance"? I made top ten, which honestly for me was more than enough. I knew I was never going to win that show. I never went on that show to win it. Uh, I wanted to work with certain choreographers, which I literally got to work with every single one that I wanted to. Um, I made it to top ten, which was. More than I could ask for. I got to go on tour with the season, which was great. Um, I got to, like, everyone, I guess, with every season, there's kind of, like, iconic dances that kind of, like, just 
are like, oh, season four, this piece, or, oh, season two, and so-and-so did this one, and this was something that I wanted. I never, like, said it out loud, but I was like, I, I really hope that one of the dances that I do or that me and my partner do ends up becoming a dance like that has an effect like that, and I thankfully ended up getting it with this Mia Michaels piece, which was incredible, and I, I mean, I had no idea at the time that when we were learning it or anything like that, I just... I knew it was going to be a, a heavy piece with working with her, but oh man, after like the aftermath of it, the people that it affected, uh, hearing the response that it got, it was crazy, like absolutely crazy, and I'm so grateful for that. So and that which, was incredible. Which season of the show were you on? Uh, season five. And for yeah. those who saw it, what was the Mia Michaels piece that felt iconic afterwards? Uh, I was. Um, it was a drug. It was. A drug addiction dance, basically. So I played the drug, and my partner Kayla played the drug addict, and it was this constant battle of like um, a drug, like a drug addict, constantly trying to leave the drug, trying to say no to it, to get away from it, and then just kind of always comes back. And it was so close to home with my family, with my best friend, all these things. So it was almost too close to home, actually. When we were doing the piece, I like it affected me in ways that. I didn't even know it would have been much easier for me to play the drug addict just because I've seen it firsthand. So like with my father, with my sister, with my best friend. So having to play the drug was like, no, I don't want to like do this. So it was ah such a challenge and so good and such great therapy. And so many great things came from that piece that I had no idea. It was unbelievable. And yeah, I just actually just like rewatched it. Um, a couple of days ago, someone had typed me in a post and I, yeah, it brought me right back to that same moment. And I was like, holy crap, this is how many years ago? And it's just, and I'm not saying it's so good because of, I was, it just, it's a piece beyond any other. It's like, Mia Michaels is a sheer genius, absolute sheer genius. So in, so season five, you were 24 and that was around, what, 2011? Nine, 2009, oh. 2010. And yeah. actually, before I go on to ment- the idea of mentorship and the lead up to the first sort of Madonna audition, what is it I, it made me wonder when a piece does become very iconic, it's almost a perfect storm in terms of you're bringing with it real life ideas right. and yeah, yeah, yeah. emotion and the work of a talented choreographer and a platform that allows you to be experimental, you know, for something to really transcend and become particularly, you know, uh, appreciated. I don't think there's any magic recipe, but it's definitely uh, this, yeah, it's kind of like when the stars align. It's this beautiful, harmonious collaboration. Um, I almost I don't even think it's a collaboration, but this, this constant exchange between music, uh, creative, creator, um, the instruments that you're using, whether it's assistants, whether it's dancers, all this stuff. But you can just tell um, when it happens. I mean, you have to be in it to kind of see it, but it's just crazy because something as uh, little as music choice or the certain part that you use of a song, like the song could have been great, but they remix it or, oh, they use this version. Uh, and little things like that can really have an effect. Or um, even when you're, especially when you're doing like partner work, uh, like I something can feel a certain way with this person and then like when you're dancing with them and then it can feel completely different when you do it with this other person or this other partner. So uh, it's such, yeah, there's so many, I feel like little things that come into play and there's no like direct recipe, but it's definitely an exchange of energy for sure. So creator will give you something, the choreographer, the artistic director, they will give you something and then you, it's your, the choices you have to make that, then you'll kind of show them this and then they'll kind of feed off of that. And when you have this exchange, then it's, it's endless what can be created because it's, it's, it's an exchange and it's this constant give and take. And it's, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's really, it's fun. It's, um, it's, uh, it's energetic. It, I don't know. It's just, you can go forever, I guess, when you do this. It's why certain Choreographers will work with the same dancers over and over, or have the same assistant, or because they or they'll work with the same artists over and over. It's because you you have this beautiful cycle of creativity, and I feel like that's more or less what it is. You you give this to the project, and if you get it back, then it just continues to go and go. It's so good. 
And so before, what led you up to... I know this is a bit of reverb, so you might need to wait until my voice dies before you respond. But what led you mentor-wise? Was there a key mentor or someone who actually got you to a place where by the time that Madonna opportunity presented itself in, I believe it was 2012, you were particularly ready for it? Yeah, um, hands down the director from my studio, this guy Marcelo Paklav, he's... Uh, everyone always asks, um, particularly with all these Hawaii dancers that moved to LA, because um, we have a very good, I guess, reputation within the industry. We're very well known. We're very professional, like I was saying earlier. Um, we're just we're really good. I'm not gonna lie. We're just we're really really good, and we're nice people. We're easy to work with, and we're good at our jobs. Both like literally, we're great dancers, and we're professional i can't stress it enough and this guy marcelo he i never like learned dancing he never taught me physically how to dance but it's all the other things like the, it's so funny how dancing's such a small part of the career of being a dancer i guess if that makes any sense it's uh, dancing is yeah like one eighth of everything out there's there's the personality traits there's professionalism there's work ethic all these other things that play into part and he was the guy that really instilled this in us. Um, at our studio, he never... It wasn't just a dance studio. I didn't just go to a class, learn a couple of steps, and then leave. It wasn't like I learned a number, did a routine, performed it in a concert or a recital, showed my parents, and then was off. Um, it was really run like a professional company. It was We would run rehearsals as if they were jobs. Like we would, And then we would actually do like some side jobs with him. It's a kind of... Which was kind of nice, so we could kind of see how the things we were practicing and rehearsing within our studio, how it played out on a, a real, in real life, like being hired for a job for a private party where we had to do this for a client, and it was it was awesome. And realizing it and then kind of seeing it firsthand, or it was just cool. And so Marcelo was definitely the guy, the one that kind of was my main mentor. He literally made me the dancer that I am today, for sure. And so what was that first Madonna moment? Did you hear that the Super Bowl was looking for people to audition? Oh, yeah. I was, I think I was just coming off of a tour with Ricky Martin. Uh, we were just finishing up in November. And, I mean, every, every dancer is talking about it. Madonna's in Super Bowl. She's looking for dancers. I mean, you want in. Like, you have to. It's, it's the biggest effing thing in it. Super Bowl and it's Madonna. So... This is already super exciting. Um, you had to get pre-screened, so it wasn't going to be an open call. So it wasn't just any dancer could show up. They uh, wanted to make sure, I guess, they had not so much quality, but they kind of wanted to weed out like the randoms and just kind of get like a, a good base of people. So I think they took 25 dancers from every agency within every major city, mainly LA and New York. So collectively, I think it turned out to be like, 200, maybe a little more or less than of 200 dancers. You had to submit like a, a headshot and resume and some video footage. And then I believe her team and other people selected 25. And which is great. I got picked for that. Like I like put my um, agents in on this and they submitted me and then I got cleared, which is cool. I was like, oh, sweet. I'm totally going. But now I'm going up against literally 200 of the best pre-selected dancers within them like, Oh, so as great as it was to be selected, it's fucking intimidating because I'm going up against the best. And I knew some people weren't going to be there, but when I showed up, oh man, the people that I was seeing, I was like, you're here. And, and there was this guy and I was like, fuck, like, and there was and these, these twins. And I'm like, oh man. And other people that twins? I... Twins? I can't compete with twins. Right. It was just the, it was the worst with the best. I was like really excited, but then... I'm getting fucking discouraged because I'm like, holy shit, like these people are so effing good. I was like, how the hell, like what traits do I possibly possess that's better than that guy or that guy or those ones? Like, man, it was so many things. And yeah, it was crazy. Absolutely insane, that audition. So she was, she had 200 there and you, and yeah. they were ultimately looking for how many to get the job? Uh, there was no, I don't think there was any... There was no, um, I guess, limit. She was 
not undecisive, but she didn't even know how many dentists she wanted. She wanted dentists, great dentists. That's it. So if she saw 400 great dentists, she was going to get 400 great dentists. If she saw six, that's all she was going to take. So I really think she took, she took what she wanted and nothing more, nothing less. And it ended up being, I want to say 16, 16 dentists total that she ended up taking for the job. Yeah. And to give people an idea of how something like that comes together, the dancers are chosen. Is a song set list chosen that then choreography is designed around? For the audition or for? Uh, well, so, say so. Once you had sort of landed the job and you were you were yeah. in the the top six, you were the sixteen chosen dancers. Yeah. Um, or just just also as part of that audition process, how many rounds once you were part of the two hundred? Did you have to go God, through? As many as they want. This is this is what sucks with auditions is that you really, I mean, sometimes they'll tell you they'll finish by this time. I think we were supposed to finish by 6. I believe she didn't arrive till like 4.30. <laughs> so there was no way we were going to be out by 6. That's That we already knew. Um, I think we stayed close to 12 hours. But I, I would have stayed 12 more. Like, you know what I mean? And so would have everyone else. It didn't, I think, matter. Oh, so, um, so each it wasn't like those rounds played out over a series of days or weeks. That was the one day. Yeah, because it was literally, the audition happened this day and rehearsal started the next. So you literally, when we flew there, you're either flying to New York to stay for one day or for one month. And it was kind of like, how much clothes do I bring? What do I bring? Like, because you had no idea. So, yeah, it was crazy. And so, and it ended up being a month, a month yeah, of rehearsals. Yeah, a big month, yeah. So in, in the lead up to the, the Super Bowl, those choreographed dancers would rehearse every day or every weekday for a month? Oh, I mean, we no, I mean, it was more than a month. It was, we rehearsed for two months. I think close, to, almost close to three. We started December 16th. I remember this, yeah, December 16th and Super Bowl was February 5th or 4th. So like a month and a half. I'd say like five or six weeks. It was for one song. Like, this is a lot. For one effing song. Wow. So you're putting in full-time hours, I'm assuming, what, a five-day week for almost... Six, actually. Six days, and I think we're doing anywhere between eight to 12 hours a day. Sometimes even more. For almost three months for the one eight-minute halftime show. Yeah. And for the section we were in, I think it was like less than 47 seconds or something. Really? What's that? that Yeah, because she, the dancers only did the Vogue part, and then she brought in another team, like these other, um, it wasn't a cheerleading squad, but a specialty like cheer team to do this part, and then the choir came in for another part. So, I mean, the piece was eight minutes or however long, but really the Vogue part, the actual dancing part was only, maybe we'll say a minute something. That was it, and then we rehearsed for six weeks. (laughs) Love. It was crazy. <laughs> so you did the Super Bowl. That was a huge success. And then what was your next, uh, the time, the next time you received the phone call asking you to be part of a Madonna experience? Um, then it was, uh, you did the Super Bowl. Everyone knew she was going on tour. So once again, be smart, be professional, and you might get asked or all these things. And everyone heard about this private audition she was having with, for the tour. And so... Basically, while we were rehearsing for Super Bowl, people were getting emails. And some some were getting it sooner than others. And so it was like, you got an email. Someone didn't get an email. So it's kind of devastating. Like, you're hearing about it that way. And so certain people got um, invited to this private audition for the tour. So, which was, you still didn't get the tour. You still have to audition for it. But you're that one step closer. So um, got an email for that. Uh, Went through that whole process, which was a week long. That was really that's like a week long intensive um, audition process for the tour. And then within that week, that's when she asked um, myself and this other guy, Darrell, the choreographer of Girl, um, Girls Gone Wild, uh, to basically do uh, her music video. And of course, we're not going to tell her no. Like we still didn't have the tour, and like I, any any opportunity, I could show her how I work. Like what I can do and so I you want to take advantage of it like you don't get to dance in front of Madonna or for Madonna that often so a music video for her sure so we said yes to that and then it was through that process like through the actual because we had finished the week of the auditions for the tour and now we're in like waiting and then we had one week of waiting before everyone was confirmed or not for the actual tour and in that week in between that's when we filmed Girls Gone Wild 
And so I, I looked at it as like an, an additional, like a, an overtime like period where I got to show like extra things that I could do. And so during the week for the music video, that's when we got confirmed for the tour. And that was, wow, insane. Like, I was like, um, it just made everything freaking worth it. Like all of it was worth it. And the crazier part was that we still weren't even done with the music video. We were just in rehearsals for the music video and we started to shoot it. So I was like, it, it almost had like this pressure, like, you got the tour, but did I really get the tour? What if I don't do good in the, the video shoot? What if she's like, oh, I don't like, look at how he looks on screen or some, God forbid something happened. And yeah, but it was awesome. It was so, so good. So in the lead up to you landing the, the MDNA tour, when you were just one of 16 dancers in a 47 second Vogue segment in the Super Bowl tour, is she interacting with you on a first name basis? Are you... Oh yeah, da- dancing alongside of her and uh... yeah, she's she's there from like literally she was there from she was there at the audition for the Super Bowl and the next morning when we all showed up there she was right there with us like it was she's there every step of the way every second she knows you by your first name by what the, the name your mother calls you by like she'll create a nickname for you like she knows you through and through there's it's not like. Artists and dancers. She, Madonna, I guess the best way to put it is Madonna is a dancer. She is one of us and vice versa. So, yeah, so awesome like that. And when she is uh, interacting with her choreographer, is she instrumental in the choreography or is she receiving that information from someone who's designing the, the movement? Um, it's two, I guess there's two. She has a stand in. So she can see what she's about to learn, sort of a deal, which is taught directly from the choreographer. But then once she starts to learn things, it's her sentence there and the choreographer. So she's getting direction from both. So if she has any questions from like about a certain move, the choreographer's right there to answer anything. If she has a question about how the step goes, do you mean which then that's when the standing will step in and be like, Oh, use your left foot. Put your right foot here. Da, da, da. I did this because the stand-in is the one that's actually doing the movement, not necessarily the choreographer. So she kind of has like the first-hand experience as to what M has to do or what M will be doing, and she'll kind of inform the choreographer like, "Oh, this might work, this might not," and then collectively they will all kind of find out what is the best for her. So okay, so there's a, a choreographer, there's a stand-in who is in a sense, the, the double that Madonna observes doing the choreography to see that it's going to work when she's doing it. And then there's right, yeah. Madonna herself. And d- does the choreographer and the stand-in turn up with an idea options. of uh, options, ha- has how yeah, the choreography yeah, plan, will work? Plan, we worked on plan A, B, C, through Z. Like, you always have to have options in there. So, yeah. We'll have several options. We'll have a, a difficult version We'll have an acrobatic version. We'll have a handless version. We'll have a high heel version, a flat version. We will have an all boy version, a girl version, a solo version. Like there are, it's you have to have options. Always have options. Be prepared. <laughs> and and so the um the you've done two major tours, the MDNA tour and most recently the Rebel Heart tour. Did they flow similarly in terms of how they unfolded, in terms of the length of time, the way in which they were constructed your involvement with, with them in terms of how much you did? I mean, yes and no. The With the MDNA tour, because of the Super Bowl, it ate up some of our prep time. So I feel like normally um, we would have had like three months to prep for a tour. And with the, um, the Super Bowl going into February and with yeah the timeline, I think we only had like two and a half months. Maybe, or maybe only two months. Like a little over two months, which was not enough time. Like, I mean, we were frazzled. She was frazzled. It was just, it wasn't a mess, but, I mean, it was just, there was a lot to get done. We were really, like, rushing and struggling trying to get numbers finished. Because there is, I mean, it's it's a creative process. There's no way to predict what happens and how it goes down. And then same thing with the Rebel Art Tour. We had, I think, close to four months of prep time. Because we didn't have that much time to prep for MDNA, she made sure we had extra time. And, even with the extra time, we still were struggling with trying to finish numbers because, yeah, it's just, it's the creative process. And if we were good on this part with choreography and lighting, then the staging had issues or half the stage wasn't ready in time so we couldn't finish other stuff. So there's so many elements that come into putting the show together that it's, 
it's next to impossible to, I guess, have it play out the same, more or less. And when you do a, a big show that's two hours long and it has 30 songs as part of it and there are as many bits of choreography for you to learn, how much are the dancers contributing to the choreography or is it is it delivered to you in a blueprint that you then have to learn? Uh, um, nah, dancers... I didn't, I mean, specifically Rebel Heart, I didn't realize how, um, how much we had an effect. I mean, whether we meant it or not, little things from the way we were dressed to things we would do, just playing around like on the side would have an effect on her. She might catch, an, she might catch it or even the choreographers might catch what we're doing or the creative team might see this being done or someone doing this during their warm up, and then they'll be asked to kind of demonstrate it for everyone or Maybe they'll kind of work on the side with the choreographer and try to incorporate that style or that element or whatever it was that they they saw um, into the piece or into the routine or into the show. And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I guess the best way to put it is it, if you're in the show, you're in the show in every aspect from costuming to like, like really, whether, I mean, I'm not literally up there like mandating the spotlight, but it you're just as involved and it's, it's crazy how involved everyone is, but it's also why the show ends up being as good as it is. So, yeah. Because you've got these, what, 20 artists who are contributing ideas to a giant pot that then, you know... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Whether And, yeah, they will either directly ask you, like, oh, we need 4-8, can you two... And they'll ask specific people based on their movement quality or or their aesthetic or their fashion sensibility. Whatever the reason, it's like... We, you'll be selected for this part or for that part and asked to contribute in any way, shape, or form, and you will deliver one way or another for Madonna. <laughs> That's for sure. So, and I observed that when you were performing the show, this the Rebel Heart Tour, you were up, you're on stage for 90% of it. I'd say yeah. 80% of it, at least. Maybe more. <laughs> yes, yes. Is, is, that, crazy. is that because your physicality or style is a good compliment to M? Why were you up there more than most other guys, if not all other guys of the 20? Good question. Honestly, I have no effing idea. Um, I like to think, uh, like, I mean, there can be so many factors. Um, in regards to blocking, for example, in regards to positioning of where you are in this for this number, sometimes, honestly, it's just when we were creating the piece, this just made sense and, or it worked out easy. Or it could be, it could have been something as simple as, um, lighting, certain, because of your skin tone, it just didn't pick up well here. So we really we put you here instead because you actually look better in blue light than red light. Or so again, it could really be something like that, which a dancer would never know. You would think it's this or that, but really it's just a it's a lighting thing, and your jacket's yellow, so they can't have you in green lighting. It just doesn't work well. Um, or it can be stuff like she might trust you, or when we were creating the piece. Things might have been a bit hectic, which a lot of the time things were, because um, there's just so much that she's having to deal with and all that. So to kind of deal with, I guess, new people or new, uh, yeah, new people, new partners, uh, people that maybe they know her, but they don't, they don't know her as well, um, can be kind of frustrating when she's just trying to get things done. So having people that she's comfortable with, having people that she's worked with in the past that she um trust it it makes the whole process a bit easier it makes the process go a bit smoother for her at times so i feel like that's kind of maybe one of the main things that played such a big part in to me being in so many numbers or near her so many uh so many numbers was that yeah she trusted me at that moment when we were creating things and then i yeah i it just i just worked out that well i worked out well sometimes i actually wasn't even the first choice i was the fifth or sixth choice, but out of all the choices, I was maybe the better, but still wasn't the one. Like, there's, gosh, I can't even tell you how many versions we've done where this guy came in, and she's like, nope, and then this guy came in, and it was like, oh, I like it, but then we tried this part, oh, well, he was better, oh, this one's taller, but then when he came in, this other part, she couldn't do it with him because he was too tall, so then it had to be someone smaller. There's so many things that play into part, and yeah, right? So I feel like it was a bunch of things, really. And so when you were, before you managed to start landing pop star 
tour at gigs, which even for non-dancers, being a backup dancer to a in a pop major show is this weird projected fantasy that people yeah. uh, that so many people that I know personally has aspired to. So, how what's the difference between how you thought it would be when you were thinking about doing this thing as a as a kid versus how right. it actually is? Well, firstly, dancing for Madonna was never, never an option. Uh, I never thought it was possible. Legitimately, I never thought of myself as being that good. These dancers are gods. I'm sorry, but Madonna's dancers are, I mean, not even Madonna, uh, most possibly. Their dancers are effing incredible. They are so good. These, half these dancers that I watched on tours, they were the reason, I mean, I really wanted to do this, but... I never once thought I could be like them, you know, like I wanted to be. So Dancing for Madonna was never really an option. And then when it kind of became a reality, it was a bit surreal. Um, uh, there's actually quite, it's not even, it's funny, the creation process of it all, of all the tours, there's so much dancing involved, but the actual steps that you end up doing for the tour are fairly, I don't want to say easy, but fairly minimal in comparison to what you did creating it. So it's like you do all these crazy things, backflips and hanging from 15-foot poles and da, 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 to then do three steps to the left, a, a sharp look to the right. And, then, and I mean, the effect is incredible, but it's so funny what you, what you do in preparation and then what you actually do for, as ex- execution for the show. Um, so that kind of is, that was really weird for me because... I thought we'd be doing these crazy breakdowns and all these like fancy footwork and intricate hand movements and da da da. Really, I, I'm more or less just creating a world. I'm creating pictures and creating an environment, and that's more or less the aesthetic. Or that is the idea of being a Madonna dancer: is um, telling a story. Which I think she kind of says, as opposed to dancing with all like so full out and so big and like just doing crazy things. Yeah, so. Um, that's kind of, I guess, something I realized after working with her. I was like, oh, cool. This is kind of nice. I didn't know it would be like this. It doesn't make it any easier. I'm not saying I don't do, I do less dancing. It's just, it's just different. It, it's so much more involved. It's so, it, it's more in depth than just movement, I guess. And that's kind of the thing I like the most about working with her. Because it seems like everyone in the tour would be available to not just movement associated with being a contemporary dancer but also acrobatics aerialist work you know it's almost going into circus territory and contortion territory and so i mean everyone it seems has their skill set but also even in terms of what i've observed you being able to do and maybe it's just about being available to the, the work that's around is you do a lot of stuff particularly well right yeah, well, I mean, it's. I feel like it's kind of her process. She would hire all these dancers, and you'll be good at this. This dancer would be great at doing um, tutting. Let's say finger tutting, for example. This is like someone's specialty. Or flexing, bone breakers. Uh, these guys, like, this is their specialty skill. And yet, she'll hire them and bring them on as flexors, as bone breakers. And throughout the entire show, you will never do bone breaking. It's like she will deliberately challenge you to do the things you are worst at and suck at and actually make you better at that because she knows you're already good at these other things. As she does. She feels uncomfortable doing this, this, and this. And so you should feel comfortable doing this, this, and this. And she's, you know, working on these aspects and getting better at these traits that she's not so good at. And she wants the same for her team. And so I really, I mean, in it, it ends up being such a great thing in the end because now I'm able to do the things that I could already do fairly well and all these other like new traits, these new skills. So it's kind of good. I, I, I like that aspect of it. And so, do you think there's an element of that being the key to her success that she is constantly expanding her capacity to do things in the physical realm? It seems like she's as available to the the most far-out versions of Oh, yeah. Dance. I, I feel like within her world, it, there's no... It's never a question of money. It's never a question of uh, practicality and logistics. It's it simply are these things... I mean, to put it quite simple, she wants the impossible possible. So 
she will find something that is literally physically impossible and somehow you have to make it possible. And I, I don't know how it happens, but it happens all the time. And it's, it's really quite impressive. But yeah, she, she wants to do things suspended from a harness, but not be suspended from a harness. How do we do this? And it's like, I don't know, but we will figure it out. And so it's, it's, it's such a nice challenge and she will create the perfect environment that, um, a very healthy, encouraging environment that is still critical and still challenging. So it's not easy, um, but it's also not like just this worst place you ever want to... Like, you have everything at your disposal to create and to do anything you want at your very best. So there's no excuses in, in regards to creating or why you can't create something or why you can't do this or that. She will provide everything and all she asks that you just... You simply do it, like you do it and do it well. <laughs> so it's more like a f- physics is the only real thing standing yeah, in your I mean, way. Really, yeah, yeah. It, and it, I'm freaky. I'm yeah. There's so many things from like the size of the stage that uh, was in the works, but then logistically we just could not have this with this part together. So it's like okay, I guess we'll downsize this part. But it, it's these are these are the things that. Are, um, this is the only time that maybe no or this can't happen will come into play. Besides that, you more just just got to do it. Like, jump over 16 chairs? Absolutely. I will find a way to physically jump over 16 chairs with or without your help. No, yeah, <laughs> no, one, no one tells Madonna no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, what, and what is it like being on the road for, you know, a 15-month period goes into the tour? What is it like to get to know this person who is on the one hand, one of you, yet on the other hand, this entity that you've been aware of your entire life. Right. You know, how has how the intimacy of your relationship grow after five years working alongside, four years working alongside each other and many, many months on the road? I mean, ironically, you just, it, I guess, in regards to any celebrity, we always, I feel like we always put them up on this pedestal. I, uh, the funniest thing I always notice whenever you, you meet someone famous, you realize how tiny they are. Li- literally how short people are. And, it, and it, it's, I find it so ironic that it's, it's like because they're a celebrity, we make them larger than life in every aspect. We literally assume they're taller and bigger, and then they're not. They're 5'2", five 5'1". Five like I think she's 5'2", or 5'3". So it's just, yeah, um, with being on the road with her, uh, you just realize more and more how normal she is, that she is, she's a, a little girl. And I, I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but she is just, she's a girl. Just like, I'm a boy and that's a girl. Like, it's just it's so funny how, yeah, she's a mom. She's a, yeah, she's a daughter still. Like, you know, these, it's funny that you're like, oh, duh, of course she's a daughter. Of course she's just a mom. But, hey, she's also Madonna. It just happens to be, you know. But, and she just becomes simply a person, uh, a really cool, weird person. She tells bad jokes. Um, she has a, a very peculiar sense of humor that I actually I, I kind of like. She, it's very dry at times. Um, uh, what else? I, I guess it's just the more, the longer I've known her, and the I guess with touring, you just... You learn things. I mean, she's your friend. It's like how you learn things about your friend and your relationship evolves and you learn more things and then it evolves even more. And so, yeah, she's just... I guess the the ego, the idea of Madonna really goes away and it, it becomes diminished and smaller and smaller and smaller. And then she... It's funny, she goes from less from being Madonna and then simply just becomes... I hate that her name's Madonna because then she just becomes Madonna mm. as opposed to the idea of Madonna and it's it's nice it's it's funny how yeah she's yeah she's just Madonna just M <laughs> and so now that the tour is over and you've gone back to a lifestyle that doesn't demand so much of you in terms of a regimented schedule and that sort of thing how does your day to day feel I mean honestly everyone says like they're like when tours finish, they're always like, "Oh, I'm going to be waiting for my day sheet or my call sheet for what happens." Quite frankly, I oh, I hate schedules. I absolutely 
hate effing schedules. I, I, one, I'm just not punctual to begin with, so I never, schedules just don't work well for me. And I mean, yes, I'm dancing, I'm traveling the world, it's incredible. There are no complaints whatsoever. But it's like I want, I want it all my way. So I want to dance when I want to dance, and I, I want to do the things when I want to do them. Like sometimes you're just kind of exhausted, and so taking a flight to Thailand at six o'clock in the morning isn't ideal. Yes, I'm going to Thailand for the first time and I'm very excited, but I'm also fucking exhausted and it's been two weeks since I've had like a real good night's sleep because we've been traveling so much. So it, it kind of, it's weird in that sense. So after tour is finished, the idea of not having a schedule of simply binging on a TV show for six hours is so nice or, or taking a nap and just sleeping, like, I, I really, these things are so refreshing, or just, yeah, I absolutely love, I guess, having a normal life, cooking in your own kitchen, uh, these these little simple things are really, really nice, because they're things that I guess you kind of take for granted, um, not living out of your suitcase, uh, being in a, the same room or the same city for longer than four days, these things are so nice, and uh, being in a city where you actually know where things are. It's like, oh, I know that I can go to this shop and get this at this hour because I, one, speak the language. Two, it's my hometown. Like, three, like it's just, it's so nice. Uh, these little things, I love it. Like, I absolutely love it. And, and it's the normality of life um, that, I guess, for some seems so daunting after leaving, like, a big tour, a big world tour. It's, for me, I I, I crave it. It's, like, the one thing I, I, I long for the second we start touring, actually, like it's so, it's so weird. So, yeah, I I love this normal life right now. It's so good. How much and how much of your experience had you seen Truth or Dare slash In Dead with Madonna before going on tour? And how much? Oh, yeah. And how much was that? Ex- what we've seen in that film about the that the idea of a tour reflect your experience? Oh, it's exactly the same. Like it, it's yeah, touring. I mean, whether it's touring with her or touring with... It is exactly the same. It's Touring's intense. Um, there's so many things that... Like, so many crucial things that come into play every day. So it's something that happened yesterday and was so vital and a part of your reality, a part of, like, that had to be dealt with, will completely disappear in the next city or the next travel day or the next... this. But then this other problem might arise or this other great thing might arise. So it, it's such a a whirlwind of emotions, of situations, of circumstances that for some, they can't handle it. They don't like it. They would prefer doing commercial work or being on set for like three months. Whereas for me, I like thrive on it and I absolutely love it because it's a, it's a, it's a challenge and you really, you truly grow as an artist um, touring because every city is going to be different. Every audience is going to be different. So you're forced to make different decisions on and off stage you know, both um, behind the scenes and all. And it's, it, I love that aspect where, I mean, one night your pants might rip, like my pants ripped in the middle of a number and you're forced to make a decision. Do I continue to stay on or do I leave and then try and mend it? Or, you know, and that's not going to happen every night, but right then and there, you have to make a choice or the stage might be slippery and you nearly slip and fall, but then you cover it with like this cool trick that you didn't even know you could do until you nearly slipped and fell, and then you pulled something out of it. So it's so cool in that sense that I, I like touring. And in regards to the truth of there, there was so many like dramatic. I mean, I guess this tour wasn't as dramatic. That's for sure. Um, yeah, not as dramatic. Um, but I mean. The idea of traveling with her, the idea of touring with her, all those things are still the same. There's still boring, there's great shows and not so great shows. There's amazing audiences and then really amazing audiences. So all those kind of things, it's, yeah, it's awesome. All the dancers that I've observed all have really good sense of style. Do you have to have, do you have, to have a good sense of style to be one of Madonna's dancers? <laughs> you know what? Actually, I have no idea. Like, to, um, I feel like... I want to say yes and no. Yes in the sense that, I mean, she likes pretty things. Like, she's an artist, and you have to have, I guess, let's not say a good sense of style, but you have to have a certain aesthetic. And, well, I don't know what that aesthetic is, but it has to be very distinct. A distinct aesthetic, I feel like, 
it sets you apart. It makes you you and not one of the others. And I feel like she is herself and she identifies with people that are themselves. So having a certain aesthetic, having a specific aesthetic that is yours and yours only, I think it speaks to her. And this is kind of what I feel you're seeing or you're like, oh, this is what it is. But yeah, and it just so happens that it translates into very good fashion. For sure. <laughs> and so, all, what do you think you will take away from the this most recent tour? Is there anything in particular you've come home and now that you've had a few weeks to decompress about the experience that you think would be your your keepsake in terms of uh, evolution? Yeah. Oh, oh, I guess for this one in particular, specifically for me, I guess last time I didn't really take advantage of my situation uh, with the last tour. I I kind of, it was my first tour. I, I didn't know how to navigate it. I didn't, I'd done tours before, but not with with her. So I, I didn't know what to do. I, I was so consumed and worried and focused about like my outfit for the after party that I didn't actually have fun at the after party. You know, I, I was so consumed and worried about all these other things that when I looked, I mean, I realized it kind of halfway through the last tour, but it was kind of too late by then. So this tour, I really made sure to take advantage of every situation, every opportunity, both with her and without her, um, on my own, um, with the idea of touring with her. Like, just I really made sure to, yeah, just fully take advantage and indulge in the experience of touring with Madonna because it's fucking incredible. Um, but I guess this time around, uh, honestly, I guess this is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, not that I was lying on tour or anything like that, but uh, just to be more truthful and honest in situations, whether it's verbally confessing something or w- one thing like working out, uh, taking care of myself. Was I really taking care of myself or am I lying? Am I cheating myself of things? Am I, am I doing things that are not as good for my body as they should have been? Or this? So I just being more honest with, in every aspect of my life. This is kind of the thing that I'm taking away this one. And even literally, like, just coming out, it's like shit hits the fan within the dancers, like just coming out and saying, yo, I did this or this happened, this went down and owning up to it, fessing because uh, it's just so much easier. And yeah, it's just, there's never a good time, I guess, to say the right thing or the honest thing, but it has to be said. So yeah, honestly, this is kind of what I'm taking away from this tour and kind of, applying more and more to my life yeah no. beautiful well, it's, it's i imagine where do you go from here you know where is the next great hurdle to identify in the future is what you'd like to to leave leap over or mountain to climb post madonna have you thought have you articulated a goal for the future for yourself now i mean yes and no there's like several things i would really like to do a movie this is just because I've never, not acting, uh, it could be dancing on film. I just haven't done this. I have never been on, I've done like commercial work, TV work, at like award shows, um, both small and big award shows. I've done like the touring thing. I read like touring is like my thing. This is like what I, I love. I get off on it, all that good stuff. But um, I, I've never done a movie. I've never done a film set ever. A good friend, she's a stunt double for a lot of like major feature films, and I would like to experience this. She's she's spending like three months on location and like just amazing places, and I would I would like to. I feel like it would be a, a cool way to, yeah, just to one experience the world if it were to be done, if the film were to be shot on location somewhere. And two, I just never done that like a long term job on set. I, it would be different. I. I'm so used to like the constant changing. I would kind of like to see how I would respond in this type of environment. So I'd like to see. I mean, I might suck at it. It might really be really bad, but who knows? I want to try it. So doing a film, this is kind of like the big goal. Um, short-term goal things is ooh, uh, going to uh, living abroad. I'm going to go to Colombia for three months. Beautiful. So this is something that I'm looking forward to work on my Spanish because after traveling this for the past five or six years, I should be able to speak a second language. And I can speak Spanish, and I have a, I know Spanish. I 
taken it for six years, literally. Why I don't ever use it, I have no idea. So I'm forcing myself, moving to Colombia, and I will just kind of immerse in language, kind just kind of figure it out from there, and we'll see. And then I will benefit from it. I feel like from future jobs and future travels, having this. So I'm kind of, I'm looking at, looking at it as upgrading myself to Pono 2.0. So I'm going to upgrade to this version, and then... Who knows what lies ahead of that? We'll see and we'll find out once I get the new version of me. I love that idea. The next operating system. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Bono, thank you so much for having a chat. I love to check in with you at this beautiful time when you are just looking to plug in your operating system and, and hit upgrade. <laughs> thank you so much. Of course. <laughs> My takeaways from chatting with Capono were around attitude towards work. According to him, the actual dancing is as little as one-eighth of the job of being a dancer. It's interesting that for someone who doesn't like to keep to routines or schedules in his personal life, he is hyper-aware of areas such as punctuality when it comes to his own professionalism. There is a discipline at play here that reminds me of friends of mine who are professional athletes which in turn makes me think that there's no real reason why one couldn't apply the same level of focus, attention, and demand on practice for any other artistic skill as this world-class performer does towards his craft. For creatives of more seemingly ethereal disciplines like painting or poetry or pottery, the fact that there's no athletic side to the work allows us to forget but the level of discipline required to become world-class is as much about our attitudes towards turning up, pushing ourselves, structuring networks, appealing to better and better teachers, or pushing our work to new heights via the setting of increasingly greater goals. The fact that Capono's work combines the athletic with the artistic allows him to embrace ideals more commonly associated with professional athleticism. But there's no reason why a creative person couldn't embrace those same ideals themselves. And if you were inspired by anything you heard on the show today, please feel free to pass it on to someone who you think may be able to use it. Check out the show page at www.thenakedcreativeshow.com. I'm Dan Brophy and I will see you next time on The Naked Creative Show.